And welcome back, everybody, to Educational Triage. This is Tony, and of course, I am joined this week with my good buddy, Philip. Aloha. And How that's Autumn in the background. It's not. Yeah. It's not me. Something offensive, but um. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me. She heard my voice, and she came flying in. <laughs> um, this week we are looking at two big topics and we are going to keep our time limit of 20 minutes each and we are going to begin with flexible schedules and then we are going to go into the alternative ed diploma so philip yes flexible schedule what does that mean to you i'm for them what does that mean for <laughs> flexible schedules actually that is how i entered this career i was an evening school teacher, I was actually hired as the, would you, would you take an evening school position? And I said, well, what would evening school entail? And it was, uh, I believe it was 4 PM to 7 30. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a flexible schedule because the kids that they were after were this kid, those kids that had something going in the afternoon or a evening would fit them better. And it started out with uh, seven kids, I think six, seven got to about mm -hmm. nine and 12 pretty quick. But wow. that was a flexible schedule offering. That was one of my original administrators. Um, uh, that was one of her fortes. She really did really well with that. She saw a need, and that was a need. So she offered that, the evening school slots. Mm -hmm. um, those are really good things to do. So people think about flexible schedules within the day. Like, you know, can, does that mean a double period you could take? Like, a, Although they do do that thing, um, although that's hard to um, – accommodate in a regular school schedule, like two periods at once, because, you know, some things are better learned over a longer period of time, but you can't do that every day either. Well, there are some interesting shifts in this, and I agree with you when I thought flexible schedule, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. And that would be that maybe one group of kids could start in at maybe Oh, let's say that they start, they work better working, starting at maybe say nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And so yeah. they go through and they have their regular, and that's the regular school day. And then you have other kids who might be better served if they started at, let's say, beginning at two or three o'clock. And yeah. then maybe again, maybe you have some other kids that might start better at 430. And for a number of these kids, it might have something to do with family responsibilities because their parents are at work. Um, whatever happens, uh, it could be because they have to maintain a job. Maybe they are supporting either themselves. Maybe they're also contributing to the family so that the family can eat. That's a and, likelihood more, more so than people would think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to work for the family. Yeah. And or maybe it just has something to do with their cognitive function. Maybe it has to do mm -hmm. with that they work very late at night and they need that much time to, in order to get their full sleep. Yeah. Well, we all understand that, uh, to quote Lewis Black, there's not a darn thing you're going to learn through one bloodshot eye. <laughs> and most high schoolers are like that in the morning. So they mm -hmm. prefer to work at an afternoon schedule you know, when it comes to learning. And I don't blame them, really. Um, although there were some, there's some kids at uh, one high school that I was um, subbing at, 
they have a zero period and there's a contingency of kids who like to pack that in early mm-hmm. um ungodly early almost but <laughs> i like it i like to wake up early and so i i volunteer for those jobs when i can and then they're free by 1 30 ish in the afternoon full, full schedule done gone so that's right. interesting so that's right. an option for them there as well mm-hmm. well um, i remember that there were students who um and we're talking grades well actually yeah we're talking secondary yeah and i remember when i was teaching in ib school that we had a zero period but the only period that was taught was theory of knowledge Ah, And so we would um, begin school at about seven o'clock in the morning. And then it would go on from seven and it would go all the way up until about three. And it, and we had a rotating schedule. So theory of knowledge met, met five days a week. Um, But the core, your core classes would alternate. So you would have one hour for each of those. So let's say eight o'clock to noon, you had four classes. You actually had five classes. And so each one of those classes, one of them would drop every day, but they would they would rotate so that let's say that you started out with a period on Monday morning at eight. That would move to second period on Tuesday, third period on Wednesday, fourth period on Thursday, and you wouldn't have it on Friday. Mm-hmm. And so all the others. And I had that in one of my high schools that I attended um, growing up. And I liked it because it gave you a little bit of breathing space from that class. You could always catch right. up on things. Um, and it kept your brain sharp because you had to remember that you weren't going to that class every day. Some people say it's just a little bit too confusing for people, but I say, um, seriously, it's just part of one of those things where you just learn how to relate to a schedule. And so um, what happens when you go to university and you have classes Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or something Mm -hmm. like that, they have to get in line with all of that as well. Sounds so, easier though. <laughs> it does. And then <laughs> the afternoon you had, it's like I went to college and there was nothing like that. So, <laughs> and then in the afternoon you would have two periods. <laughs> and those were both elective periods and they would go Monday through Friday. So I agree with you that we might have these flexible schedules. And I remember when they implemented the night school, and I know that in Portland Public, they had Grant Knight High School. And I think Benson yeah. also had maybe an afternoon to evening school. I think they, they did, yeah. And they, and mm-hmm. part of that was for adult basic education and also for the GED over mm-hmm. at Benson. I think that's where they did that. But the Grant Knight High School was when they actually taught academics, and that was more for the alternative student. And they would take on all kinds of students district wide. I do. Yeah, but, I recall that. Yeah. So. Um, and it was a very successful program. Now, the interesting thing is when I was developing the alternative system at the high school, we were starting to get into a conversation about how could we best serve students who couldn't make it in the morning, but we wanted to up our graduation. We wanted to be able to serve more students 
because the alternative high school had gone to a more fundamentally basic elements kind of school where they were going to run it like a regular high school with fewer mm. with with fewer fluctuations right so it was just going to be a smaller high school is is mm. how they saw it because they didn't understand the entire philosophy behind alternative education yeah that's a critical mistake right there they yeah. they talked a good game but when it came to playing they didn't have all their parts or pieces and they yeah. didn't understand the rules it's really critical to have flexibility that way. I mean, just mm -hmm. even within the, a time period you're working with. So you have your school open between X hour and X hour. You don't fill it with periods necessarily or uh, work time, lunchtime, work time. You don't do that. That's what a factory is run like. Hence, a school is run like. And you don't. It's, it's an artificial environment. Um, I say, you know, <laughs> you, you practice like you play. Uh, kids, you know, we've been doing that for so long. I remember just the culture shock of getting out of high school into real life and just, oh, this is real life. This is real life. And, and then I remember getting out of school to, be, at, to become a teacher and then actually becoming a teacher and realizing that I didn't, I don't think I really learned to become a teacher in school to become a teacher. It was an on the job training thing. I related a lot of knowledge, but they didn't say, oh, and this is what you do at this time of the day or in this situation. Right. And it was instinctual. It was on the job training. Yeah. I did a whole semester with two classes, but, um, so I guess I learned, they, I think I was learning to teach then. I mean, it was all my curriculum and I was grading it and everything. So I suppose they thought I was learning to teach, but to me it was sort of, I don't know, I was doing it their way. So, you know, with the lesson plans and the whole plotted out and everything. So I guess I was learning to teach, but I, I, maybe I'm a teacher and I was, that was instinctual and easy. But then after that, when I had my own classroom, mm -hmm. that was, like, oh, whoa, now I'm responsible for these kids. Then I felt like it was a whole different it was a whole different shooting match, you know. It's always you, a whole different one when you yeah. confront a new group of students because you don't well, know yeah. what kind of animals you've got. Right, and it's your name on and the And how roster. feral they are. Mr. Summers, and it was like, you are Mr. Summers now. You're not just the student teacher. Right. That's when it was like, oh, wow. That's when I thought. Learning how to teach, and what we learned, though, was that right. there's a lot of flexibility is needed. and You always have to be flexible, especially... I, I, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I learned to teach film lit because the kids have a devil of a time, devil of a time um, reading books, and and I was getting you know, so many different varied reading levels. So I wanted to get to content, and and if I want to get to content, you know, what is a metaphor? You know, a film has lots of metaphors in it. No, this is a metaphor. Now let's read something that has a metaphor. You know, you're going to look for metaphors in written text too. So we we read these films, and I don't like to break films into uh, sections. And high schools will force you to do that, you know, 45 minutes. And it's like, and then you've got the odd 15 minute ending, you know, and the kids could care less by that point, you know, one period for 15 minute ending is no good. So I like to watch films in their entirety. Flexible schedules were wonderful for that because the kids really enjoyed some of these films. They get into it and into it and then it would get the rising action and then they go over the, you know, oh, and then they get the resolution and, wow that's really cool summers they go yeah 
that that, that metaphor was really strong. Wasn't that's a metaphor? For now let me throw person's let, life. You know, yeah. let me throw a wrench into your work. though. what if a kid? It, let's say that you're working within a school that might be doing project based learning as far as everything goes, and so yeah. kids might be looking at um, working on interdisciplinary kinds of projects where they use their language arts, their math, their science. Yeah. And they combine all their core elements and maybe some other elements of other coursework that maybe might be germane to what they're doing. So they're picking up a few other credits. And then how do we gauge flexibility in that case? Let's say we get rid of the bells. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the kids are working on that. But then you, as let's say a mathematics teacher, you notice that Billy isn't coming to class very often. <laughs> yeah. He's and um, he's supposed to be doing his stuff. So yeah. there's an article, there's actually an article called Scheduling for Learning, and it's from Getting Smart on the uh, web. Okay. And they talk about the different schedules, block scheduling, traditional scheduling, seven to oh. eight period. And then inherently flexible, customized scheduling. Um, and I'll put the link for this down into the down in the show notes. But anyway, so are we talking about work sessions where the kids are learning and you're no longer the sage on the stage and that you become more of the mentor and the facilitator for the course? I was wondering about that. <clears throat> and that's the other part of it, too. Right. And we go with Peter Gray and we like start that. talking about the children being in charge of their own learning and we help them develop that. And then they need, you know, they have to spend a certain amount of time in every classroom. And so what we do is they're evaluated every week. Um, they say that there is weekly academic monitoring connections to academic support services. Yeah. You also in the school, you also have connection to youth and family services positive school culture, in, in order to have that career happen, awareness, and post-secondary education and decision-making. Yeah, that's it. What's that? Well, they got to have the decision-making um, that in the team to, to monitor the kid. You know, if they're doing that teamwork or if they're having that flexibility in the schedule, the kid is able to go in between the teachers. The teachers are also able to, to communicate with each other saying, yeah, um, Jill's avoiding the heck out of me. She hates to write. She, she loves to draw and do math. She's staying out in those classrooms and avoiding me. So, and then we can have that conversation and goes, okay, send her over to Summers and uh, she can get that writing part done, you know, that sort of thing. And that takes more effort than you would think. Um, I think that you're talking about taking your ego out of the equation. Well, yeah, but I'm saying when you communicate with teachers, if you got a group process and a flexible schedule and the kids can kind of monitor themselves amongst the teachers and say, okay, um, we're working with a project that entails the teach all the teachers and the student, and they can choose where to go and when to go to a certain degree. You have to help the kids monitor that. That's a skill of, of learning, you know, to learn how to learn. And that's what right. we're doing, helping them do that. Right. And one of those so you need to guide communicate them. with the teachers and guide them and go, yeah, you know, so-and-so really does not like to do math and, and true to form, he's avoiding it. So, you know, urge him not to hang out doing that part of the project as well. Well, say no, let's say that they need, 
they yeah. need to get a certain amount done. And so that I, right. I believe that what that would entail would be some kind of let's call it a community forum. Exactly. Where, where you meet with the students and something like that would would raise red flags. And then you would have to have the teachers involved with that student come together with that yeah. student and have yeah. the student um, and maybe the counselor or an advocate for the student so they don't feel like they're being teamed up against. Well, my point is simply that you need to have a small enough student population mm -hmm. and, and the time to, to communicate that amongst the teachers and the students so that that happens. Because if you right. and they're putting that together, the classroom, on it'll explode. Yeah. And then you'll just lose track of students and they'll find places. To, they love to do what they want to do. Yeah. Right. And they like to get away with stuff. But yeah. Yeah. but but it's more of them learning mm -hmm. that it's not people ganging up against them. It's no, more, no. It's, oh, yeah, more of, it's more of let's have a talk and let's see where we can do where what we need to do in order to make it more accessible for Frankly, you. Frankly, what it's about and is what's not going on the classroom up with so many students that we lose track of them. Because it's usually yeah. it's yeah. usually not you. That's the problem. It's sometimes it's just the material. And they don't want to disappoint. Oh, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, and like or maybe they're not understanding something and they don't want to look like an idiot, um, <laughs> Pretty much. which is which is very, one of the most extremely common problems that they have. Exactly. So it's um, so so developing a flexible schedule can mean a lot of things and it depends on how are you best able to meet your learning community where it is and part of it is looking at your resources and doing the logistics around figuring out who is willing to work different hours of the day because i'm sure that there are teachers who are willing to start three hours later than everybody else or maybe even five hours later than everybody else, even though they get off later. And um, having something like that happening. But if you are serving the community and giving them what it is that they need and, and your graduation rates are there and you already have good community involvement with all the factors that you have in your program or school, mm -hmm. I think that you're looking at a highway to success yeah it was very successful yeah yeah and you and you were able to get a lot of students who normally would have just fallen through the cracks and 140 some 147 eight I, I i marked it down i graduated from evening school over a period of three four years 148 yeah yeah no that's well, good that's, that's it, pretty good, yeah. especially in a district that's not huge. Yeah, it wasn't. It's not that huge a district. So that's no. I think in the high schools there was maybe yeah. at that time. I think in the high schools there were probably about three thousand at that time. Yeah, evening school. That was a pretty good program then. There we go. There's and then me. we can we could sidewind that into the alternative ed diploma. Hey everybody, how are you doing? I'm just here to remind you to hit that subscribe button and also to share this podcast with your friends. We are now in over 41 countries around the world and we are growing. We don't always hit it right, but we still have a conversation 
that is relevant to the policies and what's going on now today in education and especially alternative education. So we can only grow and we can only do better if we hear back from you. So be sure to leave us a review and send us an email, educationaltriage at gmail.com. So back to our show. Yeah. In that case, though, they got the regular ed diploma from the high school they were right however yes and this came up in my discussion with jennifer achari and she said that they offer the alternative ed diploma or a vocational ed diploma at their program over in perth australia because their kids aren't necessarily going to be going on to university but they can go to work right afterwards. And so they should be able to filter into some sort of vocational career afterwards. And I, I know that there are people who are probably listening to this saying, well, think about it. If you are, before we get into elitism and everything, if there are students who aren't going to be able to get a regular diploma, we have, I know that in Oregon, what we have is what's called the Oregon Diploma. And that it, every high school comes up with their own system of credits and how many credits it takes to graduate from a district's high schools. Mm. There's also the modified diploma, but for the modified diploma, and I know yeah. every other state has a modified, but they call it different things. Um, in fact, in some states, it's called an alternative diploma. I'm not going to question. But those are for students who would not normally be able to meet the qualifications for a regular diploma who are special ed. And then you have the regular diploma, which is what they have. But the state diploma would be getting the base number of credits that you need. And I believe in mm -hmm. our state, it meant that you did not have to do two or three elective credits. It's a two, I believe. Okay. The, the basic, the Oregon diploma is 22 credits. Okay. Yeah. And then leaves it, it, the difference between that and the district that I used to work in is two elective credits. Perfect. So every state, believe it or not, is different. I know that California has an elective, has an alternative education credit, as well as other kinds of diplomas. There's the question, no national. Uh, there's no national phrasing. design. Yeah, that's like you said, alternative in one state, and and the one here, the modified, right. means that you can't, you are not mentally capable, intellectually capable of achieving the standard of a basic diploma, high school diploma. Right. You know, it's or, a special education issue that you can't do the work required. Or alternative diploma means that you <laughs> received an education in a space where they were able to, what's the word? able to get you to be compliant enough because you couldn't be compliant. And so it's more of a disciplinary environment. Well, that's my to worry. To keep you too. out yeah. of 
to keep you out of the mainstream high school. So we have this weird kind of thing. So what if you go to an employer and you say, I have an alternative education diploma, a lot of our kids, they looked at me and they said, what kind of diploma do I get when I graduate? And it's like, you get a regular high school diploma. Uh-huh. You will, you will receive school. a regular high school diploma, even though you yeah. have vocational skills. Well, they used and, to have vocational skills at the high school. I mean, shop. Mm-hmm. They used to do it. Yeah. And well, it's not like vocational skills are separate from high school skills. They're actually they? bringing that back. They're actually yeah. bringing that back. But it's by design that it is for a specific group of students who are more alternative and they call it they call it like geometry by design so it's a math class where they do wood shop that's bull shark that's complete <laughs> craziness the kids the kids love it the i know kids are doing really because well. the secret is that you have a math teacher. That's fun. It's not. Yeah, and it's in relevant. Class cranking out written math. Yeah, and it's relevant. Yeah. It's relevant. And, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's and then like, they're oh, learning how. Math? Yeah, and then they're bringing it into construction. Yeah, exactly. So, and then but you have auto shop. It's so. It, it that's just so value. There, there's such a value put on that. It's because we all knew when I was growing up that the shop kids were just the kids that were just shop kids. They like to do that stuff. And that's just the kind of kids they were. It's not like right. they were not going to college. I didn't think that, but apparently. And auto shop kids were the same way. You know, I mean, yeah. they're the kids and they just want to work in a shop. But then eventually right. a lot of the kids that I knew that just wanted to do that, they ended up finding out that they could make big bucks exactly. using turning those same skills around someplace else. Well, I didn't value like an executive any more than I valued Carol Shelby in the day. You know, Carol Shelby was a mechanic and an engineer. And mm-hmm. he was famous, you know, he, the Shelby Mustang. Right. And if we were all led to, you know, you want to get an executive job where you could wear a tie and carry a briefcase. It's like, I didn't think that was like the way to go as much as, you know, Car- Carol Shelby and his Mustangs. It was a valid way to go, too. I think what people need to realize is if you don't graduate with a regular diploma and you want to go somewhere and do something, go to the community college. Oh, oh, well. Because they don't care. They do not care what kind of diploma you have. No. They want you. They want your money, of course. But... Once you go in there and if you apply yourself and you're doing things that you want to do, sure, you're going to have to take writing 101 or 121 or any of those. And you're going to have to get your math skills up. But you're going to need those if you're going to be an electrician, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to be an actuarialist. And yeah, I said that weird because I was trying to say it right. I couldn't um, say it at all. So you did well. <laughs> I was impressed, actually. It's like a But, you know, I mean, you get the skills. They don't care. So if you were thinking that you were going to go to Harvard or Yale, well, no. It's wasted money anyway. Go into a community college with that degree, and you can put down that you graduated from a certain high school. That's fine on your job applications. I mean, you can, but the, the colleges don't care. 
what is important is what did you do with your education? What have you learned with your education? And how eager are you to learn more? My only other question is why I don't mind having an alternative education diploma as long as it has merit. And no, if you are no. in a state, and I'm going to put the link to where you can go state by state and take a look at how they evaluate their diplomas. Um, but for me to go through that and read it off to you would be really boring. Um, but you know, you know your state, and if you're interested in your state, you can always look it up. What kinds of secondary diplomas does my state award? But if you take a look and see what they do, start thinking, okay, so if you have students who are worried about where they're going to graduate, they can go to community college. And then if they want to go to four year, the four year only looks at their, their community their college period, community college transcripts. And yeah, what they I, want I to tell do. my students that once you go to the first term at community college, get your four point, And then someone asks you, what's your grade point average? It's four point. No yep. one ever says, what was it in high school? They never, ever say no. that. Ever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Only absolutely people that did well in high school care about it. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's, I think it goes down to what did you learn? Yeah. And it, it also says, what kind of space did you learn it in? So if I know that you went to an alternative high school, believe me, there are a lot of people out there. I walk into businesses and I tell them, I, I did walk into places and I would tell them where I was coming from, my program, and people would pop out of the woodwork, hey, that's where I graduated. Is so-and-so still there? No, but I still talk to them. Oh my gosh, tell them hi. So it builds this huge community and... You know, there there's a sense of pride about their school, and they shouldn't be ashamed of where they go to school. They shouldn't be. However, I have noticed on social media, Mark students will say they've graduated or they went to school at their high school, one or the other, and not the, alter the alternative school that they went to. And I know why. It's, it's There's a stigma on alternative high schools. Well, there's an elitism. Well, maybe that, or just maybe they don't want to be considered the bad kid, you know, because we talked about that. Everyone says, well, you know, right. well, the state of, was it Texas? Just pretty much thinks that, yeah, alternative schools for those kids, you know. Yeah, it's that. not just Texas. It's not just Texas. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a but, lot of states with that. But doesn't Texas pretty much just like alternative equals those bad kids? <laughs> pretty much. Well, I don't want to subject Texas to. Their whole law to, is set up that way, isn't it? Like alternatives equal prison kids. Not isn't prison it? kids. No, they're kids that um I, I think that there's there are several states. Implicit. There there are many states that look at it as a disciplinary <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Environment. Like, Texas is only one of them. Yeah. But it's and one of many. And we know that it's actually it should be, that's the way it should be. We should be teaching alternatives as a mainstream they should be smaller environments community-based you know kids getting to know each other working in projects learning like life not like you know prison you know go here go mm -hmm. there have lunch go there go here where's your project 
you're in trouble. Where's your note? Give me the slip. Oh, detention. Oh, you're in trouble. Have you talked to Mr. So-and-so? Uh-oh. It's just Have crazy. you noticed? I don't know. I, I don't know about the schools where you've been, but have you noticed how much more like prison schools have become? It's absolutely gotten worse and worse. You're, you're I know, so right. I know that my former, yeah. my former school, yes. the, yes. there is one entry point for the school, for the students to go through, oh, but teachers can badge through different, different doors. My students were able to, we, we were able to get badges for our students to come through but it was only during certain hours. And then if the student lost their badge, we simply, we, we were able to um, so you, you had a, you had a door get rid of it. Your program. Yeah. We had doors that went straight into our program. Because you had flexible hours per se, kids coming and going at different times to do their, their work experience. And then their class. Well, the students of. needed to be there by a certain time or they needed to be in a class by a certain time. I see. They could leave that their leave time was more flexible. Oh, I see. But but um everybody had to go through one way and then if you go out because mm-hmm. you want to walk from part of the building and you want to go into um another building mm-hmm. it's caged off. Uh the fences now, yeah. Yeah, there's fences and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Alternative schools tend not to have that. They tend to be more open, more free. Sure, there is security there, and there should be, but not to the point where everybody feels like they're in lockup. You know, come to think of it, they are now not only functioning more like prisons, they were before, but they are more like prisons because of the security. You're right. Mm -hmm. There's fences, there's gates, there's lockdown, there's badges it's insane you're right and i remember as a kid they were starting to get better and better you know in the 60s late 60s and 70s you know they were starting to become more free and comfortable you know it wasn't more it was more and more less administration versus students teachers versus students i remember Mm -hmm. getting more open you more cooperative um and then it started to change then it started to change and um, the 80s started to get more rigid. And then the 90s, people started shooting people at schools. And mm-hmm. then it started to get more and more. And then, then it got more and more profitable to have schools, you know. Uh, schools became more and more privatized, per se, with the textbooks and such. And then over overweight with administrators who just wanted to just administrate. You know what that happens when people administrate things they put in obstacles toward life. And well, they that, want to make sure that their thumb is on it. So they yeah, squish people everywhere. down with their thumb. Yeah. And so that's what happened when it came regulations and rules and, and don't be late slips and then SROs that are armed to the fricking teeth. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Like guys with duty vests walking down the halls, you know, it's like, it's, it's incredible. It's, I, you know, when you come to think of it, yeah, yeah we got a serious problem. <laughs> well, the problem it well, looks like a prison. It, I'm going to tell you this. like a prison. I yeah. will tell you this: that there is a faction out there who, who are very, very much because you and I were talking about how we tended to be a little bit more counterculture in our thinking when we were growing up when we were in school. 
And today, th- there's a huge movement against that. So if you're yeah. counterculture, um, there's something wrong with you. You're a threat. And even though there, there's a great movie, it's an educational movie. I, don't ask me what it's called because I can't remember. I used to show it for creative writing. Yeah. But in it, there is there's a little segment in it where it says, do you think that institutions are terrified of other institutions that then become the institutions that are terrified and radicalized and made into the institutions that are terrified of other institutions? <laughs> and... I think we've gotten to the point now where our generation and the generations after have all become the institution and somebody figured out a stop button and said, stop, you're going to toe the line. You're just going to do these things. It's almost like something out of Algis Huxley and, um, or even the maze runner. So, or the giver Lois Lowry, you know, those dystopian. But if you think about it, it's now the administration against the teachers. And the kids are the ones yeah. who are being used as pawns. And mm-hmm. um, we gotta, we, we've got to figure out a way that the students come out smelling great, the teachers come out smelling great, and administrators, if they, you know, there's the art of letting go in the, in the Tao of leadership. Where, where micromanaging doesn't work. In fact, what it does is it stifles everything and you just got to let your staff yeah. have some breathing room and be able to move. But if you're that insecure, maybe you shouldn't be an administrator or maybe you could run a McDonald's or something. But, um, you know, all I'm saying is if we get back to what we we're talking about tonight, the diploma... Yeah, yeah, maybe there is a stigma that the kids put on it but for themselves yeah. or that we as a society put on that, that we should not be putting on those kids. I don't know, I'm not sure how valuable the poem is anymore, but then again. Well, it gives you a ticket so that you can do other things. Otherwise, you're yeah. going to be stuck having to go to night school and or finding a time or going to the community college anyway in order to get. Yeah, the it's definitely a worthwhile benchmark to me. I don't think we should dilute it. I'm not sure. Well, if you want to go into community college and learn a skill, if you want to do a lot of things, you have to have those prerequisites. And one of them is the high school diploma. For sure. And you need to have your math and your writing in order to be able to do that as well. If you're going to go into the apprenticeship programs that they have at the community college. Perhaps we should discuss in the future, because this little voice in the back of my head is going, the diploma is kind of outdated. I said, yes, I know it's outdated. What do you suggest? I suggest we go like two more years. <laughs> I like that because I think that, uh, you know, what you two, mean like two Europe? more, like, like, yeah, like community college wrapped into the high school and then open up the thing too. like stop the high school system where it's going to that building. And if you leave, you're locked out without a note, <laughs> you know, that thing and get the community colleges involved because there's a lot more to learn. It's, it's, it's getting huge and the curriculum is getting smaller for some reason because of the testing and in a time when it really needs to expand, you know, we need to start really expanding how, what we're learning and how we're learning it. 
because there's a lot to do. Because that's, yeah, it just wasn't fit. And the high school diploma, is, it's outdated. Yeah. It is. It, it is. But so is the schedule. On that one. Yeah, and the schedule. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. It was. It is. God, we didn't so, rethink the whole thing. We do. Okay. And on that note, I am going to say, hopefully we gave you enough to think about. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends to tune in and listen so maybe they have something to think about. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you share. Make sure that you come back next week and we will see you then. Adios.